Hello friends, welcome back to my podcast. In my last episode, I mentioned that I read a book about the Northern Pacific corner of 1901. The book is called Harriman vs. Hill, Wall Street's Great Railroad War by Larry Haig. Today's episode will be about this book. I guess I am a little bit of an odd duck for enjoying a 300-page book about the battle for control of a railroad. In his excellent essay, How to Do Great Work, Paul Graham said that if you want to do great work, you should follow your curiosity optimize for interestingness, wander a little, and display innocent boldness by sharing your work. In that spirit, let's talk about the book Harriman vs. Hill. The book is about the events that took place between April and May 1901. Let me read an excerpt from the introduction of the book. In the spring of 1901, the two most powerful men in America's railroads, then the nation's dominant industry, got into a climatic fight for control of two pivotal western railroads, first the Chicago, Burlington and Quincy, and then the Northern Pacific. The winner could control his access through Chicago, which was the railroad capital of the world. He also could dominate the geography of the six major railroads in the western United States. Behind these two railroad leaders stood the world's most powerful financiers, Arm in arm on one side was James J. Hill of the Great Northern Railroad and the Northern Pacific, backed by J.P. Morgan, George F. Baker of the First National Bank of New York, and a host of wealthy, influential investors in America and Europe. Against them was Edward Harriman of the Union Pacific and the Southern Pacific, with investment banker Jacob Schiff of Kuhn Loeb, James J. Stillman of National City Bank of New York, and William A. Rockefeller of Standard Oil. The battle was the first serious challenge to Morgan's preeminence in private finance. It ended in a deadlock and inadvertently in a corner, or monopoly, of the stock of the Northern Pacific, which rose in 16 hard-stopping hours of trading from $100 on Monday morning, May 6, to $1,000 just before noon on Thursday, May 9, 1901. So there you have it. The stock price of the Northern Pacific Railroad went up by 10x in four days in May 1901. So how did this happen? At the time in 1901, the two most powerful people in the American railroad industry was James J. Hill and E. H. Harriman. Hill controlled two railroad systems, the Great Northern and the Northern Pacific. Combined, Hill controlled nearly 10,000 miles of track. Harriman's railroad network, on the other hand, controlled 20,000 miles of track, covering pretty much the entire western United States. This made him perhaps the most powerful man in the most powerful industry in the United States. Both Hill and Harriman were savvy railroad operators. The book describes Hill's Great Northern Railroad as a fortress, never defaulting on bond payments, never missing a dividend, with strong cash reserves, solid track and efficient lines. What Hill and Harriman both wanted was for their systems to dominate the West, which meant having access to Chicago. And in order to access Chicago, they both needed the critical tracks of the Chicago, Burlington and Quincy line, which was up for sale. Harriman moved first and tried to buy the Burlington. However, the Burlington board did not want to sell to Harriman and demanded $200 per share. The price was too steep for Harriman. 
Next, it was Hill and Morgan's turn. The Burlington board was more willing to work with Hill and Morgan, and the duo managed to strike a deal to buy the Burlington Railroad. Hill and Morgan now had control of the Burlington, and this is where our story gets interesting. Having lost the battle for the Burlington and with it access to Chicago, Harriman went on the offensive. Unknown to Hill and Morgan, Harriman started buying stock in the Northern Pacific. His plan was bold. If Harriman could buy enough shares in the Northern Pacific, he would control all of Hill's railroads, which included the Northern Pacific, the Great Northern, and the recently acquired Burlington. Harriman and his allies scooped up the common and preferred stock of the Northern Pacific. By Friday, May 3, 1901, Harriman had more than 50% of the preferred. But to eliminate any weakness, he wanted a majority in the common too. There were 800,000 shares of the Northern Pacific Common outstanding. Harriman's Union Pacific already had 370,000 shares. This meant Harriman only needed 40,000 more shares to get him over 50%. On Saturday, May 4th, Harriman telephoned his investment banker Jacob Schiff to acquire the 40,000 shares. Unfortunately, Schiff was out of the office and at the temple. Once Schiff received Harriman's request, he made the critical error of ignoring it, believing that it was unnecessary to obtain a majority in the common, given that the Union Pacific already had a majority in the preferred. By this point, word of Harriman's plan had gotten out. When trading began on Monday, May 6th, Hill and Morgan bought every share of the Northern Pacific they could, and they continued to buy on Tuesday, further pushing up the stock. By now, all the shares in the Northern Pacific were pretty much locked up by Hill and Harriman, and they both refused to sell. On Thursday, May 9th, the stock price of the Northern Pacific opened at $170 per share, and by noon it had skyrocketed to $1,000. The corner in the Northern Pacific was in full swing. The short sellers were epically squeezed and wiped out. The shorts were scrambling to find and buy shares in the Northern Pacific in order to close out their short position. Because the stock price of the Northern Pacific had skyrocketed, the short sellers were forced to dump shares in other sound companies in order to raise cash to close out their short position. And any further buying by the shorts pushed prices up further, creating a vicious cycle. Every major brokerage firm on Wall Street was technically insolvent at this point, and Wall Street was in crisis. To understand what a short squeeze feels like, imagine a very small fire exit with everybody trying to rush out at once. It's definitely not something you want to get caught in. When JP Morgan, who was in Europe at this time, found out about the panic on Wall Street, he stepped in as a lender of last resort to stabilize, to stabilize the markets. The crisis was over. To summarize the movement in the share price of the Northern Pacific on May 9th, it opened at 170, peaked at 1000, and closed the day at 325. Remember this, anything can happen in the financial markets. When the dust settled, Hill, Morgan, Harriman, and Schiff agreed to cooperate. Together, they formed a trust called the Northern Securities Company, 
The holding company was capitalized at $400 million and Hill served as its president. However, on 14 September 1901, President McKinley was assassinated. He was succeeded by Vice President Theodore Roosevelt. Roosevelt got to work and filed a lawsuit against the Northern Securities Company. The trust was ordered to dissolve in 1904 and the case established Roosevelt's reputation as a trust buster. This is where I'll end our story about the Northern Pacific. I now want to shift gears and share with you the lessons that I took away from this historic financial event. Lesson number one is again, history doesn't repeat, it rhymes. Everything that you see in the world of finance, you will see again. This is why I believe that studying the history of your field is so important. Kobe Bryant did this as a kid. He would study the game tapes of everybody from Magic Johnson to Larry Bird to Michael Jordan to Dominique Wilkins and then he would add their moves to his game. So since 1901, we have seen many short squeezes. For example, Piggly Wiggly in 1923, Volkswagen in 2008 and GameStop in 2021. Check out episode 26 to learn more about them. Lesson number two is that short selling is an extremely difficult and, and dangerous activity. I have never shorted anything and I will never do it. In an unlevered shot, your maximum upside is 100% or a double, assuming the stock goes to zero. But your downside is theoretically infinite because the stock could keep on rising. I don't like the mathematics of that at all. Furthermore, when you are wrong about a shot, it becomes a bigger and bigger percent of your portfolio. But when you make a mistake on the long side, it becomes a smaller and smaller percent of your portfolio. Lesson number three, short selling is a very high stress way to make money, especially if you do it in a public way. My hero, Mr. Munger calls it trading agony for money. When I was at university, I was closely following the career of David Einhorn of Greenlight Capital. Einhorn wrote a great book called Fooling Some of the People All of the Time. The book goes into great detail about his short campaign against a, com against a company called Allied Capital. Einhorn was right and Allied eventually went bankrupt, but in between he was attacked by the company, vilified by the press and investigated by the SEC. Even if you are a long-only investor, I think it is really useful to wear the hat of a short seller. When looking at a company, ask yourself, is this the kind of business that David Einhorn would bet against? That is all for today. If you enjoyed, please subscribe and rate the show 5 stars. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.